live from my man cave in Chesapeake, Virginia, this is MLS Gone Wild. I'm your host, Blake, here to bring you the latest news, rumors, opinions, analytics, interviews, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going. Hello and welcome to MLS Gone Wild Season 4, Episode 11. This is your host, Blake. MLS Week 7 is in the books, and we are officially a fifth of the way through this 2022 season. On this week's episode of MLS Gone Wild, I will be breaking down all 14 matches from the weekend, plus some of the biggest storylines, including the Matias Almeida era coming to an end in San Jose. No more unbeaten teams in MLS. The Revs snapped their four-game losing skid. While the crew's struggles continue, Tati Castellano scores four in New York City FC's statement win over RSL. Ronaldo gets his first start in MLS. Not the Ronaldo you guys are thinking of. <laughs> plus so much more. Two minutes for each match. Let's get right into it, starting with the first all-Canadian matchup of the year, CF Montreal versus the Vancouver Whitecaps. Two teams with plenty of history, but two teams headed in two very different directions. CF Montreal entered this match unbeaten in their previous three following their CCL exit. Meanwhile, the Whitecaps entered this one losing four of their opening six matches. We didn't have to wait very long for the opening goal in this one. Georgie Mihailovic volleyed home and all-star Johnson crossed just 59 seconds into this game. With this goal, Georgie has now tied his career high with four goals in just 556 minutes. For context, Georgie recorded four goals in 2,805 minutes in 2021. Georgie also registered his third assist of the season with his 47th minute assist to Romel Kyoto in a play that started with him tracking back and making a tackle at midfield. He can do it all. I think Georgie puts up double-double numbers this year, at least 10 goals and 10 assists. You heard it here first. I'm even starting to hear whispers that are actually turning into screams of MVP circulating around the league. But MVP or not, he's playing his way into a call-up to the U.S. Men's National Team for Nations League and maybe a final spot on the plane to Qatar. Back to the game, though. Vanny Sartini made some like-for-like personnel changes that did add a bit of spark for Vancouver, and the Whitecaps got themselves within one with Brian White's 65th-minute goal. Toussaint Ricketts entered the match in the 88th minute, and just four minutes after coming on, scored what looked to be the game-tying goal at the death, but VAR ruined the Whitecaps' day and deemed Ricketts to be in an offside position. No goal for the Whitecaps. CF Montreal tie up the all-time series at seven wins apiece with their 2-1 win at Stade Saputo. As to the Whitecaps, they continue their historically bad start to the season on four points and a negative eight goal differential, both of those stats being the worst through seven games in the club's history. Moving on to the San Jose Earthquakes first, Nashville SC. From two teams with plenty of history to two teams who have never met in an MLS match, the San Jose Earthquakes played host to Nashville SC for the very first time and the very last time for Matias Almeida. <laughs> but we'll focus on the match itself first. This was a back-and-forth match in which the Earthquakes battled back twice to earn themselves a home point and just their third point through the opening seven weeks. They're still the only team without a win through seven weeks, by the way. But anyways, the match ended 2-2 with braces from Jeremy Abobasi and Hani Mukhtar. And with the brace over the weekend, Abobasi has scored braces in back-to-back -back games. He's now scored in three straight games in a row and is tied for the league lead with five goals. He's finally finding his form in an Earthquakes uniform after only scoring one goal in 759 minutes in 2021. And it's not just that he's scoring either. He's doing it in a number of different ways. Late arriving runs into the box, flicked headers to the back post, free kicks, poachers goals, you name it, he scored them. He's technical, well-rounded, and most importantly, he's in form. Maybe 
the next coach can continue to build on this success as it looks like Matias Almeida is out as the manager of the San Jose Earthquakes. As first reported by Tom Boger on Saturday night, in quotes, the San Jose Earthquakes and head coach Matias Almeida are set to part ways, end quote. After three seasons and a 31-42-25 record, the Quakes are finally moving on from their toxic relationship with Almeida, run-ins with the fans, playing players out of position, refusing media availability. You name it, this situation has been boiling over for quite some time. So now, with 27 games remaining, I think it was the right time. Still plenty of season to right some wrongs. This team has plenty of attacking talent. And a new defensive scheme should make for an instant improvement. We'll see what Quakes 2 coach Alex Cavello can do as the interim head coach of the first team Earthquakes. As for Nashville, they've earned 1.57 points per game through a crazy eight-game away trip to start the season. 11 points in eight games all away from home isn't bad. And they only have one more before opening up their brand new state-of-the-art soccer-specific stadium, Geodis Park, on May 1st. They are exactly who we've known them to be a pretty stingy defensive unit that is hyper dangerous and transition. Thanks to Hani Mukhtar, who with his brace versus the quakes has now been involved in 34 regular season goals since the start of the 2021 season. And that is seven more than any other player in that time. Moving on to the next three matches that all finish with a scoreline of zero, zero, try to move through these ones pretty quickly. We'll start with Atlanta United versus FC Cincinnati Alec Kahn and FC Cincinnati traveled to Mercedes-Benz Stadium for the first time since Kahn was traded from Atlanta United this offseason, and he made all the difference in this one. According to expected goals, shots on target, and possession stats, Atlanta United dominated this match. But Kahn's six saves, including his PK save on Marcelino Moreno, earned FCC their first shutout of the season. FC Cincinnati were without Jeff Cameron, Ronald Matarita, and Alvis Powell on their back line and replaced them with the 14th overall pick in this year's Super Draft, a starting caliber striker, and a locker room guy who just came out of retirement. Pretty good result considering they were largely outplayed on the road and down a man for the last 20 minutes or so. If you're Gonzalo Pineda in Atlanta United, you have to be incredibly disappointed in the result. Most expensive roster in all of MLS, and they've lost in back-to-back weeks to this year's expansion side, Charlotte FC, and three-time Wooden Spoon winner, FC Cincinnati. Too much talent to be getting these results. I know Atlanta United fans cannot be happy. Moving on to Houston versus Portland. I spoke about Alec Kahn's man-of-the-match performance in net for FC Cincinnati, and Portland's goalkeeper, Ivicic, had a very similar performance with four total saves to earn the Timbers a draw on the road. His 64th-minute save on Fafa Pico's flicked header to the back post was easily the save of the week and should be a save of the year contender. He had no business getting his fingertips to that ball, but he went full stretch to keep that one out. Phenomenal save. Ivicic has faced the third-most shots on target in the league and has the fourth-most saves. He is the one consistent piece in a pretty inconsistent team. Portland sit ninth in the West on 10 points and have yet to put together two wins in a row. Their counterparts, however, the Houston Dynamo, Well, they're arguably one of the most informed teams in the league as they are one of just two teams in the league to be unbeaten in their last five games. First-year head coach Paulo Nagamora has the Dynamo sitting fifth in the West on 12 points, which is one point more than they earned through their first seven weeks in 2021. The Dynamo went on to finish dead last in the West, only earning 19 more points through the next 27 weeks. Nagamora's job now is to just keep going and not repeat that. They look better but I've seen this early season success before, sustain it, and I will be a believer. 
And with our third and final 0-0 draw from the 6 p.m. window, New York Red Bulls versus FC Dallas at Red Bull Arena. This was one of my games to watch because of the tactics of each team. And, well, they both did the exact opposite of what we usually see them do on a weekly basis. FC Dallas went to Red Bull Arena looking for a point, and they got it. Quite lucky, but they got it. FC Dallas forced New York Red Bulls to have majority possession, and from looking at the stat line and watching highlights, New York Red Bulls dominated this match. 56-44 possession. Not that 56 is a lot, but the Red Bulls generally average 40% possession, so 56 is wild for them. Seven shots on target to two. 1.5 expected goals to .32. Dallas sat in, absorbed the pressure, and relied on goalkeeper Martin Paz to make six saves. Although Red Bulls had their chances, and some really good ones at that, including Omir Fernandez's missed 1v1 opportunity, the goal scoring well has run rather dry. After scoring seven goals in their first two matches, they've only scored three goals in their previous five. The underlying numbers still favor Stuber's guys, however, as they rank fourth in expected goal differential. As for FC Dallas, similar to their Texan counterpart, Houston Dynamo, they've strung together a five-game unbeaten streak. And they weren't against wooden spoon contenders. During the stretch, they beat Nashville, Portland, Colorado, and tied Chicago and the Red Bulls. Nico Estevez has this team playing some really good soccer. I'm a fan of both of these teams. Clear game plans and quality players. I'm watching them every single week, and you should too. Moving on. My beloved Columbus Crew versus Orlando City SC. So if you know me, I'm a Columbus Crew fan, and I'm mad, and I want to talk for hours, but I won't. Orlando do the dosacero to the crew at lower.com to hand the Columbus crew their third straight shutout loss set piece defending is once again an issue. The crew seemed to fall asleep, whether it be on the initial ball in or recycled set piece play. It's unacceptable at this point. I have to use two hands to count the amount of set piece or recycled set piece goals. The crew have conceded. I'll give credit where credit is due though, and say Urkan Kara's goal was wonderfully worked team effort, quick, one-touch passing, and then around the 18, all initiated by Facundo Torres, checking to the top of the D, pulling Pedro Santos off the back line, and filling that space with two attackers. Movement creates space for your teammates, and Orlando City used and abused the space to score that second goal. Orlando City lost DK, Nani, Mueller to transfers prior to the season, but their new guys, Carr and Torres, are beginning to find form and chemistry with one another. It's plenty to be happy about if you're Orlando. As for me... Only thing I'm happy about is our expected goals and Caleb Porter actually making a mid-game adjustment. In the 60th minute, Porter subbed on Giassi, James Igbekeme, and Josh Williams and switched to a two-striker system that yielded no positive results. Something has to change with this Columbus crew side. Saying we just have to finish our chances is a cop-out for me. I'm not going to go full panic mode yet, but I'm aware enough to know that something needs to change, whether it be formation tactics or personnel. So there's some minor tweaks to the system I think could work while also not completely disrupting everything that we do. So I got three of them for you guys. We saw Caleb switch to a 4-3-1-2 or a 4-4-2 if you will with Miggy and G up top. I like that look. I really do. But I don't know if that's the right pairing. I'd be open to playing Zillary or Matan as a second striker or false nine. I think we need one guy checking in and one guy running in behind. And G and Miggy are just too similar to operate functionally together in a two-striker system. But I would love to be proved wrong. Number two, 
from a tactical point of view, I'd be interested to see what we look like if we flipped our midfield triangle from a double pivot to a lone six with two eights. Two teams that have done that really well so far, FC Dallas with Edwin Cerillo, Brandon Cervania, and Paxton Pomacall, as well as LAFC with Ilya at the six, Kellen Acosta, and Latif Blessing as the dual eights. The dual eights just give you more presence and range centrally that allow you to connect the lines. I'd love to see Artie at the six with Nagby and Igbekeme centrally to drive the game forward. And uh, where's Lucas Elrond, you ask? Well, anywhere. Give him the free roll and let him do what he does, make plays. And my third and final solution, sorry I'm being a little long-winded here, two guys I've talked about in the previous points, Matan and Igbekeme, are deserving of bigger roles and more minutes for this team. Matan was brought in this last year as a young DP, and he is arguably the second-best playmaker on the team, yet we are giving him trash minutes at the end of a game where we're down 2-0? Use him appropriately, Caleb, please. As for Igbekeme, he's been the Columbus Crew super sub so far this season, consistently making a positive impact on the game off the bench. I really like his game and the different dynamic he brings to the crew midfield. We probably won't see any of those changes happen, but winning changes everything. Crew's next chance to stop the bleeding is this Saturday for Sporting Kansas City, who are also on a three-match losing streak. Now over to Audi Field, where DC United played host to Austin FC in a game that will forever be known as the comeback in the capital. After trailing by two goals for 80 minutes, Austin FC became the sixth team in league history to win a match after entering the 80th minute down two goals. Coincidentally, this is DC United's second straight loss in which they have conceded a goal in the 90th minute or later. Despite playing down a man for 35 minutes because of Ola Kamara's first half sending off, DC United did a pretty good job at keeping the game in front of them, but Josh Wolf's second half subs and adjustments were just too much to handle for the remaining 10 minutes. Two of Austin's three goals were scored or assisted by second half substitutes. Danny Hoosen opened the scoring for Austin FC in the 80th minute and right back Hector Jimenez served up a delightful ball at the back stick for Sebastian Drusi to level the score in the 85th. Ruben Gabrielson scored the game winner at the death on a header that Bill Hamid would definitely want back. I've talked about good goalkeeping earlier in this podcast, not here from Bill Hamid. So with the win, Austin FC sit in second place in the West and are riding a four-game unbeaten streak heading into week eight. DC, on the other hand, well, their free fall continues as they have now lost four straight matches after starting the season 2-0, and and they find themselves dead last in the Eastern Conference standings. Speaking of four-game losing streaks, the 2021 Shield-winning New England Revolution entered this weekend's early season rematch for Charlotte FC on a four-game skid. This four-game losing streak was the first of Bruce Arena's storied head coaching career, but it always felt like it was going to come to an end sooner rather than later, and it did over the weekend. After losing to Charlotte FC 3-1 on March 19th, the Revolution got their revenge and got back in the win column with a 2-1 win over the expansion side. Adam Buxa opened the scoring in the eighth minute off of a Brandon by cross, and Matt Pulser scored what turned out to be the game winner for the Revs in the 72nd minute. The Revs crossed the ball into the penalty area more than any other team in the league, so I know Bruce was happy to finally see the Polish striker, Adam Buxa, get on the end of one of those crosses for the opening goal. Luck was also on their side, and sometimes that's all you need to get out of a run of bad form. Polster's goal came off of Kalina save and Carujo clearance that deflected off of him and went into the back of the net. I mean, hey, three points is three points, and when you can get role players adding in goal contributions, that goes a long way. The Revs aren't what they were in 2021, but they're a lot better than the early season form we have seen. As for Charlotte, well, I'm not exactly sure what to think quite yet. 
coming into this game, they were the fifth expansion team to collect nine points from their first seven matches, which is certainly a good thing, but they are dead last in the league and expected goal differential at negative six. They sit one point below the playoff line through eight weeks, and I think they are much closer to that playoff line than competing for the wooden spoon at the end of the season. Staying in the East, this time above the playoff line, Toronto FC hosted the Philadelphia Union and dealt them their first loss of the 2022 season. With this loss, there are officially zero unbeaten teams remaining in MLS. Although the Union won the XG battle, uncharacteristic defensive errors cost them points in this match. On a positive note for the Union, their lone goal in this one was assisted by Michael Ua and finished by Julian Carranza. That's the first time in limited minutes that these two have hooked up to find the back of the net, but it shows they're beginning to build chemistry and an understanding for how each of them play and move. Carranza also has two goals and two assists in just over 400 minutes, which is already one more goal contribution than he had through 1,268 minutes with Miami. Hopefully we see these two connect for more goals more often. This is definitely the best dual striker tandem in the league, and with a direct play from the Union, they are both really dangerous when the ball goes in behind the defense. As for Toronto FC, they forced the Union to possess the ball more than they usually do, and consequently, the Union coughed up possession with bad passes more than usual. A bad pass from Jose Martinez led to the opening goal for Toronto FC in the 39th minute, giving Jesus Jimenez four goals on the year. In addition to forcing the Union to possess more than usual, TFC also penetrated on the dribble in and around the 18, causing Union defenders to step or retreat. You can see examples of both in both of TFC's goals. With the win, Toronto FC extend their unbeaten streak to four matches, and life under Bob Bradley has been a great improvement from where they were through seven matches last year. Through seven matches in 2022, TFC sit in fifth place on 11 points. In 2021, they had just 10 points through their first 14 matches. That's uh, it's quite the turnaround. While we're on the topic of turnarounds, through seven matches of 2021, the Chicago Fire totaled just four points. Through the first seven matches of the Ezra Hendrickson era, the Fire have 10 points and have given up the fewest goals in the league. This past weekend, Gaga Slanini and the Fire posted their league-high fifth shutout of the season versus the LA Galaxy. Nothing much more to report from this game. Zero goals, zero shots on target for, for either team. So let's keep it moving to a four-goal Western Conference battle between Minnesota United FC and the Colorado Rapids. Dane St. Clair, seven saves, and Reynoso's first two assists of the season helped the Loons earn three valuable points after suffering back-to-back -back losses. This one over the Rapids was the first game this season in which the Loons have scored multiple goals. Speaking of the Loons scoring troubles, according to SodaSoccer.com, Minnesota have just two open play goals in six full games with Luis Amaria up top. He was subbed off in the 70th minute in this one, and Robin Lode was moved from the wing to the number nine, and he scored and assisted on two goals in less than 10 minutes at the position. Phenomenal move from Loon's head coach, Adrian Heath, there. A successful Loon season heavily weighs on Reynoso and Lowe contributing goals, and this is a step in the right direction for a team. Just one season removed from a trip to the Western Conference Finals. To end the Saturday slate of games, DeAndre Yedlin and Inter-Miami beat a heavily rotated Seattle Sounders team to earn their second straight win. Not only was it their second straight win, it was their second straight win without Gonzalo Higuain. No Higuain, no problem. Yedlin recorded the game-winning assist against his boyhood club on his first return to Seattle in eight years. Talk about an incredible homecoming. The 12-game Saturday slate is now finished. I could sum up Sunday in one word. Goals. Ten of them and just two games to be exact. 
Let's start in the Bronx. New York City FC rotated just one player from midweek CCL, and they made a statement in this one, beating RSL 6-0. The scoreline was the largest margin of victory and defeat in both clubs' histories. Tati stole the show in this one as he went from zero MLS goals in his first five MLS matches of 2022 to four goals in one match and just one goal back of the lead in the Golden Boot race. Tiago added the other two goals in this one for the defending MLS Cup champs. This team looked like a team that was pissed off after being bounced from CCL, and they dominated every aspect of this match. It was one of the most lopsided matches I've ever seen. New York City FC are back, folks. I mean, they never really left. CCL just puts teams through at the beginning part of the season. As for RSL, well, they have a good body of work to still hang their hats on, earning wins against Seattle, New England, and Nashville, while taking a point from Houston, Colorado, and Toronto. That's enough to have them above the playoff line through eight matches. Their 12 points through eight matches is two points more than they had at this point last season. My final takeaway from this one is New York City FC have done a phenomenal job filling DP in under 2022 initiative positions. RSL have not. Good news for RSL, though. They have plenty of room for roster flexibility to improve the roster come the summer. Also, did you guys know Tati isn't a DP? What? (laughs) I guess I know nothing. Anyways, last but not least, LAFC defeated Sporting Kansas City by a 3-1 margin and regained the top spot in the Supporters' Shield race through seven weeks. They are tied for most goals in the league and have scored three or more goals in four of their seven matches. Their expected goal differential is the best in the league at plus 7.9. Statistically, first-year head coach Steve Terundolo has this LAFC team playing the best soccer in the league. And honestly, the eye test backs it up. Sporting Kansas City, on the other hand, They're going in the opposite direction. They have now lost three straight and six of their first eight matches of 2022. I was concerned about Sporting Kansas City before the season because 55 goal contributions from Russell and Shallowing in 2021 was going to be really hard to replicate. Through eight weeks, they've combined two goals. I'm still concerned. Still very concerned. SKC, like I said earlier, play the crew this weekend to see which team will stop the bleeding first. I hope it's the crew. Please. Wow. I think that was all 14 matches under 30 minutes. I can be rather long-winded at times, so I'm actually quite proud of that. Anyways, listeners, thanks for tuning in to my MLS Week 7 recap. There's a lot of work that goes into watching games, highlights, and preparing for the episode, so please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you are listening. If you found the link on Twitter, hit that retweet button to tell a friend. We have midweek U.S. Open Cup matches starting Tuesday and a full slate of games over the weekend. Remember to support local soccer and support small podcasts. I'll talk to you guys soon. Peace.